welcome everybody to the IBJ podcast. We got a really special guest with us today, Thread Brown. I'm with my co-host Morgan Smith and Kalia Collins. Um, before we get into everything, we got to remind everybody the mission of IBJ real quick. So the purpose of the Institute of Black Justice is to relentlessly pursue equity and justice for all. The, in, the IBJ mission is threefold, to be an advocate for fairness and equity, to be an accelerator of the justice system's transformation, and to be an accomplice to credible social justice influencers and the communities that they serve. Uh, Morgan will give you a little overview on what we're going to talk about today, but thank you, Thread, for coming out, you know doing some black justice with us. We appreciate it. Man, I appreciate it as well, bro. For sure. Absolutely. And like Isaiah was saying, you know, we're so thrilled um, to not only have the founder and CEO, but a friend um, to IBJ, uh, Threat Brown. He is the CEO and founder of Young Businessmen of Washington, which is a local 501c3 in Tacoma, Washington. Yeah, no doubt. Shout out to it. You already know. Y'all got me cheesing and all. <laughs> and I believe I'm doing the over the quick um overview, I believe, um, of threat. Me personally, I've known threat for I think going on two years. I think it's been. I've known threat for almost as long as I've known my fiance Malik. And um every time we've or been around each other, he's always doing some type of positive work in the community. And I just I see him as a great leader here in Tacoma, where I'm at. And um Give me a quick second. I will be off camera to read the overview that IBJ has for threat. And um, I believe after that, we'll let him take the floor and answer a few questions. Give me a second. Let's do it. All righty. The overview here for IBJ that IBJ has for threat is Threat Brown is a community activist helping to reduce gun violence among black and brown young adults in Tacoma, Washington. Threat is also a leader in the Tacoma School District, mentoring young men and women who are in pursuit of entrepreneurship. Threat's organization, Young Businessmen of Washington, also known as YBMW, is more than just a nonprofit. They're mentors, guides, and leaders. They also envision a Tacoma where our youngins, our young men, shine bright, leading with passion and positivity. Shout out to Abby Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Thank you, Kalia. That's a little mm -hmm. overview of our guest today. So we got questions for you. I hope you're ready to be on the hot seat because we got a lot of questions for you. Yeah, um, I love questions, bro. I hope y'all read <laughs> my answers. That's what I'm talking about. A hundred percent. We got our ears open. Yes, sir. Yeah. All right. First question. First question. Mm -hmm. What do you believe are the root causes of youth gun violence and how do they differ from other forms of gun violence? One of the causes of youth gun violence, I believe, in America in general is that, you know, I think it is a, a transferable trait. You know, I was just talking about people the other day. And the thing that I'm starting to notice is that, you know, our young black men are manufactured in America. You know, I got a shirt that I got called Removing Clan Brains from the Black Bodies. Mm -hmm. You know, our young black men has just adapted the mentality of white men that colonized the country in the beginning of this time. And so now we're not in the wrong. We're just trained to be this way by white America. So we're fully fledged. We're, we're blooded Americans, you know what I'm saying? This is what Americans do. This is the most powerful military force. Why is that? Because America lead in war, you know? So it's only right that our young men develop these traits. And so when young black men get in trouble, the first two options they got, you to go to the military, you go to prison. Isn't that ironic, you know? So with that negative behavior pattern, they want to send that aggression to, to military in prison. So there's no difference in American way 
in comparison to other gun violence situations, uh, I think that the young black men has been conditioned to be this way. This is a grooming, you know, we was manufactured in corporate America. You know, we are the product of America. So if you want to see a full-blooded American look at black men in this country today, you know, we thrive on the impulse of violence because this is the personality of white men, you know? And if we do historical research, they didn't come here to America comfortably. They came here killing stuff, stomping stuff. And so if this was a plantation, which it is, we just the savage black dogs in the backyard that don't nobody get a chance to see unless you step on American property and then we cut loose. But, you know, and I think the only difference, if there was a difference is that we've been conditioned to create this hatred and evil that we have towards each other, just like a clan. And we just don't know how to redirect it and not saying that we want to redirect this anger to other people because we don't, you know, as much as we feel justified to just start turning around and destroying everything outside of us, we still self-sabotage. So I think that that's the difference in comparison to other terms of gun violence is that we're only conditioned to take it out on ourselves and not implement it to protect ourselves and save ourselves from harm. You know, we lost that sense of touch, you know, so we full-blooded Americans. Nobody's like us in America. You know what I'm saying? We are the product of American culture. You know, we're the most savages ones out of all of them. And we see it on ourselves. And that's white America, you know, so we got white brains in this black body. You know what I'm saying? And that's why we got so much hatred towards each other. So that makes sense. You know, that's what it is with me. For real. I appreciate you bringing that up. I feel like a lot of people don't understand that, like, we've been socialized to believe and act the way that we do. And it yeah. goes all the way back to enslavement. Yeah. And when you say that, it makes me think about, like, whooping your kids. Even a lot of people still believe in that, like, beating your kids if something happens. But, like, where did that mindset come from? Who beat us first to make us think discipline has to look this way? Um, so I love that you brought that up. I could talk to you forever for about that. But... I'm gonna stay on. I'll stay on track. I'll stay on track. And we will talk about it later. So let's make sure we. Oh, 100. Me, you from the look up. There we go. Um, so next question: In the aftermath of youth gun violence, how are victims and their families supported? Um, they're not supported. You know, right. uh, I reason the reason why I say they're not supported is because it wasn't designed for them to be able to support. You know, this is this is social science. You know, what I'm saying this is psychology. You know, scientists came to America to structure this. You know. Like I say, it's not designed for us to rehabilitate ourselves. It's designed for us to go to prison, to be rehabilitated in prison. And it doesn't work. You know, my four years in prison, I got the most structure. I got the most order. I became more organized. Why did it take me to go to an institute to be more structured and organized in the prison system? And I got the structure that I needed while I was incarcerated. But once I was released and I lose that sense of structure, then I'm right back to normalities. So... Uh, society has always developed, it's developed itself for black people to be codependent on a system, you know, so if we're not leaning on the system for support, you know, then we won't get what we need. And when we reach out to the community for the system for support, they're going to always run us in circles, which just perpetuate the whole traumatic experience. There's no resources out here for ourselves. Even when we sit amongst ourselves as black people, we have to really forge a way. That's why I love Institute of Black Justice, because it creates a platform for us to be able to at least get the information that we need in order to implement the things that we learn from institutions like this. And then we segue into a solution. You know, excuse my French. Y'all got to watch my phone now if y'all can hear it. You know, um, excuse me one time. I hate to do Yeah, I appreciate that, though. Uh, thank you. 100%. There's a lack of support, and the only support is to push you to, like, be more like the system, which makes yeah. a lot of sense to me as well. Um, yeah. It's a very good point. Next question we're going to get into today is how can schools and community organizations contribute to educating young people about the consequences of gun violence? 
I believe that the best way to get that clarity is that we understand it's a school to prison pipeline, right? Mm-hmm. So we hear it all the time. So if it's school to prison pipeline, then that means the school system is literally designed that way. So it's not like, what do we do? You know, if we know that public school is designed to send kids to prison, then that's the infrastructure. That's the foundation. I believe that separating and creating our own educational platforms is the only solution that we truly do have if we want to do it the right way. Uh, but then again, you deal with systematic racism that won't allow you to create your own educational foundations you know, to educate us on the things that we should know. And even when we learn the information that we should know from these these educational platforms, they won't allow us to implement it in a way that will benefit us as a community and us as a people. Uh, it, it's even harsh and some people don't like to hear it, but even when we look at uh, HBCUs, you know, we hear people talking about historically black universities and colleges, but I do a deep dive on a lot of these things. Like when you look at, uh, what's that, uh, Spelman for women, uh, Spellman was found, it was started by the Rockefellers, you know, a lady from the Rockefellers, you know what I'm saying? We're talking about Rockefellers. So how is that an institution for, you know, a black college? You know what I'm saying? If this black colleges was found by white creators, you know, just because a white person give a black person the opportunity doesn't make that situation black, you know what I'm saying? And so we get caught up in these facades. So if the Rockefellers was the ones that started Spellman and also white men or ones that empowered you look at uh, Tuskegee, we went to did the tour of Tuskegee and you see white men buried on the grounds of the black universities and stuff. So it's like, what sense does this make? You know, the only time that we get true education, I find more stability in YouTube and in Google stuff. I find that way. Or again, sit amongst ourselves and create legitimate black schools, you know? Uh, and, that's, and that's a lot of red tape that we got to jump through because now you got to be approved by the government and got to be pass the licensing systems and you gotta do all of these things that they won't allow us to just really do unless they got their hands in it you know and it seemed like we can't get ahead but if public schools were to be in a situation to truly help then a lot of these teachers should be willing to lose their jobs on you know compelling the truth you know which they won't you know because i talk to a lot of teachers now they'd be like i know the system's wrong but you know we working with it it's like how do you work with it if you condone it you know, and that's because it's job security and a lie. So people build their careers and their lifestyles off of lies and they don't want to release that because they got to put food on the table and pay their bills. You know, saying it's it's a hard situation, you know, for us and even our people that are tied into these systems. They won't do what's right because they will lose everything they have by standing up for justice. You know, so, you know, if I hope that answers the question. You know what I'm saying? It's, that's what it is. <laughs> Now you good? Hey, you talking right now? I'm not gonna lie. Like, yeah. it, it makes me think about when I first came into college and the culture shock I had from coming from Tacoma, where I'm from, going to Lincoln High School, and I came to school as Isaiah. And I remember I walked through those doors for POU. That's where I go now. And ever since then, it's been different. Like, I remember I wasn't being seen as me anymore. And like you said, these teachers who see problems don't want to do transformational change because they're more concerned about what they got going on at home. You know what I'm saying? I remember I was saying that from 18 years old. I was I was angry about it. I didn't know. I think I actually did know how to put it into words, but it didn't really matter because at the end of the day, people choose size and they choose themselves because there's a survivalistic type mindset we all have within this capitalistic society that pushes us to choose what we think is best for us rather than doing these transformational things that put us in jeopardy. Because if you're really a teacher that's for me and for change, you're going to do everything in your power to do the right thing. And I've, t- I've said it to teachers too, said it, you'll say it to their face, they don't listen to you, um, or they hear you, but they feel this sense of shame because they know, 
I always have this thing I say is like people understand and really know what they got to do most of the time. It's a conscientious or subconscious choice not to do it out of their own comfort um, or their own success or whatever they perceive that to be. So I appreciate you bringing that insight into the room. Uh, yeah. Education is important, though. Don't get me wrong. Education oh, is key. You know what I'm saying? I thrive on education. Dropped out in the eighth grade, but wish right. I would have completed high school because they believe I couldn't. You know what I'm saying? So I feel the statistics by not completing. So I encourage all young brothers to complete it. And most of my young brothers that I did work with growing up in this community programming, all my young brothers got got their diplomas from high school. I'm the only one amongst my whole group that got a GED. You know what I'm saying? So that's power. They got to do better than me. So I'm advocating for education for sure, no matter how we got to get it. 100%. You got to get it no matter what. How I saw that as well was it's a barrier there and I'm going to call it out like I see it, but I'm still get mine. You're not going to stop me from getting the tools that I need as well. So always encourage people to get that education, but also understanding nothing's going to magically change just because you go to college in a way as well. Just understand you get in it to do another piece inside of the puzzle of this system. Uh, to move on to the next question. Um, how do existing gun laws impact youth gun violence and are the potential policy changes and what are my belt? Let me say it again. How do existing gun laws impact youth gun violence and are there potential policy changes that could make a difference? Uh, my brother, Sean, Sean just said something. I was at the panel yesterday uh, in Seattle and Sean said something. That, you know, if we hyper focus on the gun laws and the gun issues, then we're missing a bigger point. It's not the guns, you know what I'm saying, per se. It's the guns because they they end ultimately end up doing the ultimate, you know, problem. But it's the the mindset that people are stuck in in possession of the guns. If you create an environment for people to be more secure and more safe and more holistic in their mindset, then the guns won't be no issue. It's just that when we got an acidic environment and we got access to guns, then that becomes the problem, you know. And society again coming back to white America. America create guns. You get what I'm saying? These look, these white boys that got out and start building stuff left and right. You know what I'm saying? So they create weapons of destruction. This is their initiative. This is their MO. You know, white America destroys. They're here to kill. We see our presidents all the time talk about some, you know, they create these scenarios overseas and, and it'd be all flogging. You know what I'm saying? It's fake issues, but we go to war and we kill everything. You know what I'm saying? On the premises of guns. Guns in America is only a benefit to the system because they know that we would use these guns not to protect, but to kill ourselves because we hate the situations that we're in and feel like we're not doing enough. So if we're not doing enough. We might as well just kill off the things that doesn't advocate for us in the best form, which is ourselves. So uh, I don't think that a gun law would change anything. And I go back into uh, the outlines of what it is, you know, um, historically, when you look at like, people like in Hitler, the Nazis and stuff, the first thing they did was get away, get rid of guns. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you get rid of guns and they come here with guns and how do we protect ourselves? I think that educating young people in general and people in general on what weapons are, you know, and one of my biggest things, and I'm gonna say it here, is like, if you treat a gun law like a safe sex law, it becomes the same foundation because we don't want our kids to have sex because you can get babies. We don't want our kids to play with guns because you can take the life of a baby. But the same space that people are conceiving children is the same space that our young people are killing each other. Kids are killing themselves in the back seats of cars and in the woods and in the basement. They have babies in the back seats in the woods and in the basements. So treat it like a safe sex campaign and educate our young people. But systems get to saying, what does it seem like you're trying to educate people how to handle guns? Yeah, we are. Because you treat America in a way to teach them how to handle guns and, and things of that nature. Why is it that the, the America can take our young people 
and implement them in the military and teach them everything they need to know about a pistol or a rifle at 18 years old. But then turn around to the community and say that we need to ban the law from having these assault rifles and things. So um, I think that educating ourselves be the best solution because America is going to keep flooding this country with pistols for us to have access at because they know that these guns benefit them because we're we're conditioned to destroy each other but we're also powerful enough to keep rejuvenating each other so they know this is a cycle that continues with us we won't go nowhere but we keep constantly killing each other and we keep multiplying so systematically systems like where they're going to keep breeding and making more and as fast as they kill they're going to bring back more and we keep the condition mentally to where we have them believing that guns are a problem with the same thing that we need to protect ourselves from the people that oppress us is the same things they want to take away from us so they can continue to oppress us so educating ourselves you know know what these pistols are. I've been teaching my nephews about pistols since they was nine years old. They know that these things kill people. And I say to myself that in my right sense that understanding your rights and your laws, I would justify any move that I ever have to make with a pistol. If I have to lay somebody down, bro, I'm gonna lay them down. This is the bottom line. And I'm gonna make sure that if I do lay them down, I'm gonna go to the county for three days and I'm gonna go home because I'm gonna justify any effort or action that I put into having to utilize this thing. You know, I don't believe in pistols, but I love them probably more than anybody that I know. That's the reason why I don't possess them, because, you know, I would justify my actions with crooked police officers and anybody. If I would lay down somebody in the street, I would lay down a police officer. Everybody get the blues. I don't just take these issues out on my people. So with gun policies, these things are never be in our favor. But if we have to vote against things that we feel will be in our favor, then let's vote against it. If we vote against things that would be in our favor, then let's vote for it. I would say do what we believe needs to be done, but let's not lose the sense of we need to make sure that we protect ourselves at all costs, because, again, this is America. They're violent and they only believe in violence. And the only thing that America responds to is violence. So you're dealing with a country that's not a peace foundation. It's about evil, savage behavior. So that's like me and you walking across the street to a room full of killers. If we ain't going across the street ready to kill up something about what we stand on, these people are going to be like, man, get out of here. Because I know we won't go past that threshold. Our guns, our gangs and our hoods and stuff, those are the most important things that we can have. That's our black military force. We just out of control. You know, so educating ourselves on pistols would be the best thing, but abiding by certain laws that can be in our favor and voting on, I think that that's not, it's not a problem. I think we should do it more, whether it do justice or not, we should do it because it's an effort to do the right thing. No, you know, I'm telling you, you going in. Yeah, 100%, bro. I 100% get what you're saying. When you said uh, what you were saying, it made me think of a quote from uh, Audrey Lord that says, the master's tools will never dismantle that master's house. You know what I'm saying? Which is a beautiful quote that I remember learning in school. Um, It's yeah. the same type of concept where we're talking about systemic change and the need for it, which is real, right? But no matter how we change the system, if we don't do the internal work and change what we think in our brain and our behaviors, it don't matter what way we change the system, we're going to do the same exact things. So it works hand in hand. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's also this idea when we think about systemic change or I, I study sociology. So we talk a lot about this, but it only goes so far because, again, like the behaviors will only reproduce what we do. So I appreciate you pointing that out. Um, appreciate that for sure. For sure. The next thing we're looking into is uh, what resources you kind of talked on this earlier, but kind of in a different way, like what resources are available to help communities cope with trauma, with cope with trauma associated with such incidents as gun violence? I believe that the resources are there. They're just not being put into the right spaces. Mm -hmm. um, how old are you, bro? Not to be, in, to be Asian or nothing. How old are you? No, nah, I just turned 23 in October. Okay, so boom. So the resources are there now. People start investing the resources into brothers like yourself, right. young ladies like Kalia, other young brothers like Malik. 
I think that, that that's the solution because, you know, you guys are already have the relationship with your community. You just don't got the means of resources to empower and impact the ones that are immediately around you. So resource, you guys are the resources. You know what I'm saying? It's just like there's nothing being funneled into you guys in order to do the work. It's crazy how, you know, what's a resource? You know, I don't always lean on my brother Malik a lot because and, and especially my young partner, a miracle, you know, that's a resource because they associate themselves with so many young people that are experiencing trauma. And yet all they can do is just coach them and encourage them to keep moving up and then also lead by example about what not to do. So if the money that are coming into the communities are starting to be funneled into young people like yourselves, uh, I think that that becomes more of the answer because uh, I can see the young people associate around your era. And it's just like, we hear because your generation speak truth. You don't speak no different than the average adult, you know? And when people talk about maturity, it's like, what is maturity and ageism? Ageism is a barrier for young people to be able to really impact. You know, ageism is an excuse for older people to keep being gatekeepers to disallow young people to infiltrate the space and provide the information that's needed to their peers. And we limit it from your abilities to be funded economically to create foundation because all you guys need right now is a source of financial stipulation and power. And then everything forms into a space of uh, restructure. Uh, opportunities for growth, uh, trauma tended to, because you guys know how to talk your friends out of bullshit, excuse my vernacular, but you know how to talk your people out of BS and stuff. If you have the financial means to empower their their efforts, you know, it's it's crazy. The resources are there. It's just being handed to other grown adults that say that they got a relationship, but they can't impact the way that y'all impact. So it's like, take an organization, a county or a system that'll come and say, well, we're going to give a million dollars to these grown people and you guys going to work with these young people versus saying, take this millions of dollars and pull in those young people that are ready to do the work. And then you start to get results. So you guys are the resources. It's just that systems don't want to impact y'all financially because they know that once they do that, you become self-sufficient and there's no need for everybody else to start benefiting off of y'all's back. Y'all are the cash cows of America right now, young people. You guys are the reason why money comes into these counties because of your young problematic behaviors. And as long as y'all got problematic behaviors and some adults are saying, well, I oversee these young people, then the older people are going to constantly keep getting fed funds and you guys are going to constantly be in your situation, which, you know, perpetuates the traumatic experience. You guys are the only ones experiencing trauma because now because of your trauma, older people are able to be able to pay their bills and they're able to cover their cost of living, you know, because as long as you guys are in trauma, then everybody else will be able to live their best life. As long as y'all are in trauma, then everybody else will be able to put their kids in school and move out of the traumatic environments. As long as y'all are in trauma, then everybody else is going to be wealthy. But once we empower y'all financially, then everybody that's wealthy become in trauma. So the tables would turn if you guys start to benefit off of resources. That's why the tables refuse to turn because don't nobody want to be in y'all's predicament. You know what I'm saying? They can't afford to because they couldn't survive like y'all because they're too aged out. Y'all are creatives. So y'all know how to navigate through things, especially when you got the right financial means to support you. You guys are the resources, man, for real. There's no doubt. A hundred percent. We're the reason they thrive. You know, whatever comes down within the capitalist society. And like one example we could think about this is Tacoma for all passing. It barely passed, but it passed. And it would have passed by more if more people were involved. But a lot of people are going through things. You know what I'm saying? Like 
And it's because of the problem itself. It's like the problem itself keeps the people who should be voting on it or having to say out of the say because they don't got the time or capacity because they got kids, they got school, they got work, they got life, they got mental health, which we never really get to talk about as much because um, everything else can be going great. But if it's not going great here, the same way we're talking about change for society, nothing's going to happen. Um, so I, I love that you bring that up because that's really what it is, because we really do have the we have the power in numbers, but those numbers aren't able to really be used and utilized because of the situations that we are in. Um, Cause I think about high school and stuff. There's a lot of people coming from similar situations. I mean, where they got one parent doing one thing and they don't got the time to think about what's happening in local politics to put in place systems that are going to change things later down the road for less gun violence and more stability within the house. Um, but hopefully through, organizations like IBJ, when you're talking about empowering people, definitely IBJ is probably the best nonprofit I work with so far because I get to come here and be my full self, if that makes sense. Um, so that's helping out a lot. And I feel like with ACES, our program coming up, we can have more of that, more people like Malik, like myself, like Kalia, like Faith, and many more people come through and do what they do with the knowledge that they have because we are powerful, as you're saying. And that's why people are scared of it and gives us narratives that say that we can't do anything. The narrative is a big way that um, the oppressor in society keeps us from being active because we don't believe we have the ability to do anything, um, which again, is mental, so. Yeah. I want to double down on that. I want to double down real quick too. And just throw the extra component out there to say how people would see you guys, because you are a threat to a lot of people. You know, imagine the possibility of a person coming and seeing a group of young adults educating themselves and being self-sufficient, you know, and an adult saying, well, I'm trying to work with young people. A lot of organizations seem to be prosperous and successful because they have young people participating, young people that come from the streets. And what people fail to realize is that the only reason why a lot of these young people are participating with these programs is because these, these are uh, uh, mandated scenarios. These young people have to go to these programs or they end up going to prison. So the mandation systems can make any organization look good. But if you ask a young person, do you want to go there? They're like, nah, man, it's just whack. So through force, your generation is forcing organizations that are crap to thrive and be at their best space, especially in community perspectives. And so, you know, being able to recurve that narrative and show that this is not the truth, uh, we are the truth. And if you give me the opportunity to thrive in a space, uh, we can show people that um, we are the solution. And so, and it goes to that, that whole perspective, the county in any space that we go to, the county is rich. We talk about wealth, resources, Generational wealth is multiple streams of revenue, right? And I say this a lot. I say this a lot to Kalia and Malik. Generational wealth, you know, if you got multiple streams of income, that's wealthy, right? You can generate wealth. So homelessness in these counties are wealth. Uh, uh, gun violence and youth gun violence and chemical dependency and drug abuse from adults and this and that. All of these issues generate so much money from residual income and multiple streams of revenue to each county that the county becomes wealthy because of the problems. And if you start to reduce the problems, then the county become less and less wealthy. So they need these issues to be in place so they can continue to get the resources and start to trickle little coins out. And then you start to look at these bigger entities that are generating the resources. It's like pick an organization like the YMCA. The YMCA worked 50, 60 years ago. But now these organizations are not effective. But yet, since they're so traditional, bulks of funds will go to them. And the first thing they do is say, hey, Isaiah, Kalia, Malik, would you guys be willing to come up here and work on these programs? It's like, well, dang, if you're going to pull Isaiah, Kalia, Malik in here to work for the program, how about y'all just remove the space to generate the most of the capital into the people that are able to do the work? But again, that eliminates and interferes with their funding. So people got to eat.
And as long as we starving, people are going to eat. So that's what that is. And we can talk about that forever, but I know mm -hmm. you got some more stuff. A hundred percent. I want to respond to it, but I'm a ooh, I'm a hold back because you you hit on it because the they they are made to solve problems, but if we solve the problems, they no longer serve a purpose to exist, and exactly. that is a threat to them and their very not existence, but also like just the the profiting and everything that comes with that. So that that's deep right there. And the same thing, we could even talk about nonprofits in the same way, which we yeah. shouldn't be scared to at all. Um, which is why I enjoy IBJ more than the other nonprofits I've been a part of, just because I have more of a leadership role and my ideas are actually being heard, which is the most important thing. It's not just about putting people of color and younger people in power. It needs to be like honoring what they say as well and giving them credit for what they do as well. Cause a lot of these organizations take credit for what we do all the time, all the time. So hey, tell, me what would you, tell me what would you do if you had the opportunity? Oh, that's a good idea. Then they implement it. It didn't work. It's because you're still in my ideas, not knowing the full picture. And then when it fails and we go to do it ourselves for real, then it says, oh, well, we tried it already. It doesn't work. And you also look at the perspective of a buzzard and a vulture, buzzers and vultures. How do they thrive? They thrive off of dead things and they fly around until the things that are living eventually dies. Then they swoop in and they eat off the carcasses. Society, nonprofit organizations, as long as kids are dying, they're thriving. And as long as they're working on kids that potentially could die, then they're thriving. Systems, these people start these nonprofit organizations, there's no different than vultures and buzzards. You know, as long as our kids are dying and dead in the streets and it's full problem for a lot of people. That's why they can't afford for you guys to live because once you live, then it becomes solution-based. Y'all are solution-based when you can show that, look, we don't even need what y'all are offering. If you just get out of our space, we're going to thrive. And then how do we put money behind things that are thriving, you know, and that eliminates everybody else's thriving off of your downfall, you know? So, you know, you already know where I'm at, Khalil. I see you over there. Shout out. <laughs> no, you're right, though. You're really talking that talk. It's for real. Mm. All right, I'm gonna push myself. We go into the next one. Oh man! Yeah. All right, are there are there stories of individuals or communities that have successfully overcome or reduced youth gun violence? Yeah, yeah, a lot of stories. Um, I'm gonna just stick with my my squadrons. You know, when I met Malik, Malik could have been out here killing up everything. When I first met him, he was about that. You know, it was nothing for him to get out here and get truly active. Denounced all of that, thrived, became the person that he is, a good dad. My nephew, Justice, you know what I'm saying? About their life, they've been in his altercations with things, you know, uh, could have killed a lot of things and blew up a lot of things, you know, become successful, day trading. Uh, other young men becoming homeowners, shout out to the homie Reese, you know, could have been a part of these situations, thriving, be the 23-year-old homeowner, you know, doing a thing in a major way, great dads, you know, not a product of the environment, but a solution to the problems in the environment to show that we can grow out of any of the crap that we're living in. Uh, me, you know, I'm a product of it. I love pistols. I don't got a problem with pulling that drama on anybody. I'm just being transparent because I can be here with IBJ. You know, in my heart, I've been so conditioned as a young person growing up that I'm prone to not having a problem with killing things. I'm just saying in general, keeping it fashionable. I don't have a problem with killing things. This is my relatability to my community. You know, I have to be able to resonate with the community that is destructive. Why can I relate? Because I got the same destructive patterns. I just learned how to manage and channel my negative energy versus sending my negative energy out there to prove a point. You know, a lot of my homeboys, you know, that, you know, um, could still be doing these things. I can justify a lot of things if I just picked up a pistol and just put myself in a predicament and got live. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not going to create a space for me to show people that you could justify any of these things. I'm going to sit in my silos and grow. You know, and when people know the true heart of us as black people in the community, 
you, this is truth that problematic gun behavior is decreased. Because you can do the same thing that everybody else is doing, especially when you come from this environment. You know, so we are defining the fact that it's not issues when we really apply ourselves to things that could help us. You know, this IBJ platform is supporting us versus not allowing us an opportunity to expand our ideas and expand our personalities and develop and build character. You know, um, so those are some of the successes, you know. Uh, we just live every day that we wake up and we don't take the life of somebody that shows that, you know, it works if we just stick and connect to things that are in our grasps to hold on to and, and carry us to the next level, especially when we want it. And, and the other parts of that is that, you know, sometimes there's just young people that you can't say because it's just in them to be that person. And that, too, is an idea for a person to be able to learn from. Sometimes you got to see a person take some lives in order for you to realize that that's not right because you see the outcome that happens to them. And I'm not saying that sometimes you have to, it's just the fact that that's what's happening. So you should learn from that, you know? Um, so just growing, man, just allowing ourselves to stay active and pursuing a mission or vision to have a purpose, you know, um, that's what it is, you know? I hope that made sense. And I believe it's my set of questions next, if you don't mind me taking oh, them. Oh man, to come on, time. man. We, we just getting good with this. I'm with you. Yes, sir. And um, my first question is just what made you start um, YBNW? I believe it was called Young Businessmen and Women at first, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but yeah what made yeah. you create that? So um, it started with YBM. It started okay. with Young Businessmen. And so what made me create Young Businessmen, when I got out of prison in 2005, and I'm going to just keep it simple. I got out of okay. prison in 2005. I did a lot of traveling. I had three nephews, and my nephews didn't have a father figure in their life. And I spent most of my time coming into town. I come here for three days, and I'm gone for a year. I come in for a week and I'm gone for nine months. And then one summer, my nephew said, Uncle, you should spend a summer with us. So I came here and I was like, boom, I'm going to spend a summer with my nephews. And, you know, they grew up, you know, in troubling backgrounds and they got, you know, scenarios in family that wasn't in their favor for the most part, you know, but we all go through things. And so I said, I'm going to help my nephews and them understand how to make a positive dollar. And at nine, 12 and 13 years old, we started doing yard work and, you know, just putting a positive dollar. And the school came that following after that summer of uh, 2009, School was coming in and my nine-year-old nephew started buying his own school clothes and buying his school shoes and got himself squared away. So I was like, now you guys get it. And so they was able to put groceries in the house and say, so now you guys got skill sets. So you ain't got to rob and steal a kill to put productivity in yourself. And so on that note, I left and I came back. And then my sister said, uh, I'm taking my kids to Texas. And so she took them to Texas. And at that time, there was 10, 13 and 14. And so when they went to Texas, she called me out the blue. When I was on my way to LA to do my music thing, she called me at the blue at three o'clock in the morning and said, you got to get your nephews. And so I was like, what do I do? You know, do I go to LA and do my own personal thing or do I spend time with my nephews? So I took guardianship of my nephews and they came up in here in 2012. And then from 2012, you know, we just restealed the same behavior patterns of growing and young businessmen, but it wasn't a program. I just wanted my nephews and them to get into a space of success and not fall apart, you know? And so after that system started seeing us do it this way, and so we was like, oh, boom, let's just turn this into a program then. And then we did with young businessmen for a while. And then True, you know, True ended up meeting us like <laughs> two years after we did Young Businessman. And they was like, what's up with this young businessman stuff? What about the women? So I was like, if you can create a, if you can find a woman that can do the young women's part, then we can run with that. But I don't know no women that are coming in space. So True was like, I'll do it. And at 17, I say, put together a curriculum. True put together a curriculum. I said, can mm -hmm. you implement it? They said, yeah. So they implemented the program and then we turned it into young businessmen and women. And then three years, four years after that, 
you know, things transpired differently, you know, and then so I was like, well, let's just keep the YBW, which sent to the young businessmen and women and became young businessmen of Washington now. Uh, and so it was just a survival mechanism for me to provide a situation for my nephews in case I got killed, to be honestly, because, you know, mm -hmm. I was out in negative spaces and I could have got killed in any scenario. And I just wanted to make sure that my nephews and then at that time, my son understood how to survive without having to hurt nobody. Uh, and that's how YBMW became a, a living thing, you know me expecting myself to get killed in these streets and instilling some skill sets into my nephews and my son so they can grow without my absence. I mean, in my absence thing. So that's what that was. And we became yeah. what we are now. Yes, sir. Okay. And Malik took it to another level because he wasn't my family. You mm -hmm. know, as I told my nephews, you got to pull somebody. You can't just make it a family thing because people are like, they're going to do right because that's your nephews. That's so why mm -hmm. I was like, well, find somebody. And they found Malik Banks. And Malik okay. Banks can define the foundation of what that means to extend beyond your family to grow something. So. Yes, yeah. sir. That's solid. Mm -hmm. That's solid. And I got another question. This um, let me see. I gotta go back. But yeah, it says, what advice do you have for young adults who are considering starting their own nonprofit organization to promote change in their communities? Uh, focus on your health. You know, health is wealth. If you're not trying to be healthy, then you're gonna mess up. Uh, focus mm -hmm. on your health, and that means your your internal health, you know, and then focus on your physical health because there's no sense of success if you're not going to be able to enjoy it, you know, and I'm a firm believer that a conditioned body is conditioned mind. You know, we struggle a lot in life, especially young people, you guys, not you guys, but yeah, you guys, hell with that. I'm saying y'all in a space as young adults that, you know, you experience a lot of the things for the first time. And some of the things you guys are just not experiencing now, a lot of adults and experience it time and time over again. So we become, it's a callous to us, you know, whether it's a breakup or whether it's a conflict of interest, you know, normally the older person be like, man, just get over it. It's going to be all, but you know, being young, it's like, no, this is, this is fresh to me, bro. Never experienced this before. So what I would say is that if you focus on your self-development and focus on your mission and your vision and what's your purpose, uh, then you will have a clear sight of what to allow in your space, what to allow in your life. And then you'll be able to dictate what doesn't belong because it doesn't align with your vision and your purpose of where you're headed. Uh, I encourage a lot of young people to find yourself. And that's basically find what you want to do. And until you find that, stop moving and stop associating with people. Find yourself so that way you know how to engage and how to allow people to be in your space because Without knowing, you allow yourself to be open and exposed to so many different things that you would try or attempt to see. And that one becomes a waste of your time. And two, it becomes a little more eager to position yourself to become uh, immune to more harm. And then and, and stop being a young person and say, well, I just want to figure it out myself. Don't want to figure it out mm -hmm. yourself. You know what I'm saying? Allow somebody to help guide you because I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to just ask you what are your options and what do you want to do? And when you tell me something that you want to do, then I'm going to encourage you to do that 100%. So... Learn from other people's mistakes. And if an older person is trying to instill something into you that a better you, just take that piece of advice and don't think that somebody thinks you're stupid or dumb because that's what we all think. Man, you think I'm stupid? I know what I'm doing. I don't have that personality or habit because I can care less about it at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I want to see everybody win. And and if your friends don't get it, then who cares? Keep it pushing. They eventually realize <laughs> that they should have stuck with you as long as you keep moving forward. And if they can catch up, let them catch up, but don't turn around and go and get them. You know, they got to catch up to you. You know, that's my spell. I got a cousin too. I heard that. You know. Let me see. Um, we have another question. I think I've got yep, two more. Um, it says, Are there any uh are there any key lessons or tips you wish you had known when you started your nonprofit journey? Yeah, the main thing that I wish I would have known is that 
don't be so transparent because the nonprofit is a snake game. You know, the nonprofit world is more vicious than the, than the hoods. You know, you got more savages in the nonprofit space than you do in, in your neighborhoods because everybody's cool. But when a $50,000 grant come on the table, they be like, man, I need that. And people's willing to cut your legs from underneath you. Don't nobody want to collaborate for 50 grand when five people is going for it and y'all all seeking for the same thing. It's like, mm -hmm. well, dang, you know what I'm saying? How do we accomplish that? So I would learn how to play the snake game. You know what I'm saying? I wish I would have been less transparent with my intentions on where I stood because now I'm too exposed. People know exactly what my intention is. They know threat will shake it up. You know, threat will check a person when it comes down to some flagrance. So even if I dial mm -hmm. myself back and say, all right, you guys, look, let's just do it this way. Sisson Black, ah, that's a facade. That's not real. He's about that. He will really destroy things if it's not working in the favor of young people. So I would say, I wish I would have played the game better because I hear a lot of people say it. But threat, man, you got to play the game. It's too late for me to play the game because I'm too transparent now. So I would encourage anybody that's coming into the game, don't let the left hand know what the right hand doing. You know, or let the right hand know what the left hand doing. Either way, don't let them know. You know what I'm mm. saying? Put your agenda and, and build yourself up so that way you can, you know, segue yourself out and save your people. Because again, this money's out here because of y'all. So it's y'all's money at the end of the day. But if there's institutions that's willing to help y'all get what you need, then allow those institutions to benefit off of the circumstance too, because that still is in your favor. So, you know, I just wish I would have been a little more, you know, in the cuts with my intentions, you know, to empower younger people, because it's hard for me to get a space to put y'all in a position to do. But shout out to IBJ, because that's one of my biggest mentors, too. So that's what that is. Yes, sir. I'll move on to my last question. It says, looking ahead, what are your organization's goals and visions for the future? Mission goals for the future? Mm -hmm. I would say to... Turn over the YBMW organization to my nephew, Justice, and build him up for success in this space and um, build a stronger foundation with TG Dub uh, for outreach um, and collaborate with a lot of the entities in the community. But, you know, my biggest goal, and since y'all asking me a question, my biggest goal is to, you know, I don't, I have a conversation with my mother a lot of the times and you know, when we look at great leaders in the past, I hope that there's something in life that can prevent a tragedy from happening to me, you know, and prevent the worst thing and scenario from taking place with me. I just start to realize that in reality that when you're doing the work, the real work, you know, and you're really out here as a black man, you know what I'm saying, that's willing to stand up for his people, you know, I'm more subjugated to being killed in these positions than thriving and living long in it, you know, so... I hope to just touch as many as I can possibly touch, you know, and empower as many as I can possibly empower. So that way, after a person like myself, you know, do what I'm about to do, which is excel myself to a higher level of projection and exposure, you know, and there's enough younger people that you can't kill them all type of thing. You know, one of the biggest things that's missing in our, our era nowadays is powerful leadership. You know, I was a firm believer that any man that grew up in the era of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, I used to always believe that they shouldn't be living today, you know, especially if they was advocating the stuff that those brothers was in that time. You know, if you was advocating like Brother Malcolm and Brother Martin and JFK and a lot of the people that was advocating for black people to the fullest capacity, then why are you still alive today? That makes me feel that a lot of them gave up somewhere and a lot of them seen the outcome of what happened to other brothers. And so they dial down. But then I also take into consideration that some were becoming more strategic you know, in their efforts to dance under the radar, you know, but then it's hard for me to believe that because there's so much drama that happens to the next generation now. And it's a lot of other black men, older men that are being 
you know, bought out. They don't want to open up a segue. So my thing is to hope people get in touch with God more for sure, you know, and just build a team around you and make sure your team understand the same fundamentals that you understand. It's not about money. It's never about finances. It's about the mindset. Just like you were saying, Isaiah, people talk about leaving a legacy. A legacy is not a building, nor is it a money. The legacy is the mentality. Can you develop a mindset and leave a mindset with a person that can navigate and generate money or not generate money and still make movements happen? Um, the, and, and my last thing to that question is going to be, if you're not making a historical impact on life, then you're not existing at all. You know, just because we're having a good conversation on the thing, if people aren't talking about you or doing an essay on you in the future, you didn't live today. You know what I'm saying? So do something today that's going to make a person say, in 2024, and this is the year 3000, there was a person or some group of people that done something and it changed the direction of life. So are we those people or not? If we are, then let's historically leave a trend, you know what I'm saying, and make something happen. You know, because you can't talk about the people in the past that you don't know about. So become known about something. And, and again, get God in your life as much as you possibly can. You know what I'm saying? So that part. So that's my that's my answer. And thank you, Thur, for coming out, bro. This has been probably one of my favorite podcasts so far. This was yeah. amazing. I feel like you really put everybody on game. Whoever's listening, if they're really paying attention, they walked out of something with something valuable. You know what I'm saying? Um, and a lot of transformational work can happen from what we're doing right now, having inner dialogue with our people. That's the biggest and most powerful form of resistance we have is changing that internal work, um, but also just like talking about what's going on, uh, critical conversation. So thank you very much. If you would like to learn more about YBMW and their future endeavors, please check out the IBJ link tree on our account or on our website and social links regarding YBMW. They're on Facebook, Instagram. They got their own like website and things of that nature as well. Um, but thank you, Threat, for real. This is great. This is great, especially for me as like a young black man coming up. Mm -hmm. I feel more powerful walking out this conversation. So thank yeah. you. I appreciate y'all letting me speak my truth. And I love you, Carol Mitchell, my greatest mentor one. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm going to leave that there. Yes, sir. And that's the end of the IBJ podcast. Thank y'all for coming out. Thank you, Threat. Thank you, It's Julia. always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. You already know, you already know what's up with me. You feel me? <laughs> Love you, Morgan. Love you, Tia. You. All right, Isaiah. Let's chop yeah, it up. Yeah, 100%. Bye.